Thank you for tuning in to the Living Truth Church podcast. We're glad that you're here. If you'd like more information about Living Truth, you can check out our website at livingtruthchurch.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, but the best way to connect with us is through our Living Truth Church app, which can be found in any app store. Now for a message from the Word of God. We hope that God uses this teaching to impact your life. I love that song. Amen. It's no small thing. You know, it's no small thing that God has put his breath in our lungs. Your lungs, your lungs, your lungs, your lungs, my lungs, all of us, those watching, those listening, God's breath. What a big deal. I was thinking about, I I, I don't know, I've been uh, a lot going on this head this week, a lot of things happening. You know, still a world, in the world, there's still a war going on. This nation is divided. Community is disenfranchised. Families are struggling. Marriages are struggling. And by the way, Marriage Life Date Night is this Friday night. If you haven't signed up, sign up. It's going to be good. God just, uh, he's given us a good word for that. The church is to engage the culture and to rise above all the junk that's going on. You know that right? All the distractions cause disunity and cause us and cause others to miss the redemption that's right right before all of us. The story we've been talking about in Revelation, the woman, the dragon, and the coming king. That's the story. And if we're worried about other things, we're squabbling about other things in this life, not loving on each other, hating on each other, whatever, then we're missing the story. So we're, this isn't a cute little story that we're going through in Revelation. The woman, the dragon, and the incoming king, this is the story of the world that we're in. The other things are skirmishes to, to keep us from the story. I want to ask you, what, what distracted you this week for living for Christ? What were you passionate about this week versus the passion that Christ has given you? And with this great victory at the Supreme Court, did you celebrate with hope and humility or, ah, we got them kind of thing? Church, we've got to be above all that. Don't say dumb stuff on social media. Don't say dumb stuff to your friends and family. Those things divide. We need to unite. Guess what? The church is about life, yes. The church is already adopting in foster care and mental health awareness and all the things we're supposed to be up. This is a time that we step that up. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we are desperately in need of a word from you this morning and some way somehow you're going to do that out of 
Revelation 13. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So last week, we talked about the second member of the unholy trinity, the beast, the first beast, or the Antichrist. And we took our sweet time working his backstory, particularly as it rooted in the book of Daniel. And if you didn't hear it, it really it brought a lot of the pieces of the puzzle together, so go back and listen to that podcast. So that by the time we got to John's revelation, we felt like we knew who the first beast was. The coming world ruler of chapter 13, the beast who arose from the sea. And this morning, we read of another beast, and we will focus less on his identity and more on his role of support for the Antichrist and Satan's mission. So we read in Revelation 13, 11 through 18, it says, Then I saw another beast rising up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. And it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. The calls for wisdom, this calls for wisdom, let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man and his number is 666. The second beast is similar but distinct from the dragon and the Antichrist. He's in the family of the unholy trinity for sure. He's got two horns like a lamb and speaks like a dragon. It's easy to see the showdown. The dragon, the Antichrist, and the second beast attempt to be direct opposite of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which reminds me of what Scripture related to us last week that the Antichrist thought of himself. Well, he thought of himself. He, he was a legend in his own mind. The devil attempts to put out this unholy trinity, but on its best day, it's no comparison to the holy trinity. There's no comparison. But he tries. And look at what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 16, he said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. So just as the Holy Spirit will guide believers in truth, the second beast will guide his followers in lies. Just the opposite. Just, just as the Holy Spirit 
will not speak on his own authority, but submits to the Father, so does the second beast submit to the first beast, the Antichrist. Just as the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus, the Son, so will the second beast glorify the Antichrist. So the main purpose of the anti-spirit, if you will, will be to magnify the Antichrist. Just as the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost brought on the tongues of fire, so the second beast brings down fire from heaven in front of people as a sign. And just as the Holy Spirit quickens dead sinners into new life in Romans 8, 11, so it is said of the anti-spirit that he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. The first beast arose out of the sea like likely indicating Gentile origin, as I said last week, since we have a lot of symbolism mixed with a lot of things that are literal, to be clear, both of these beasts are human. Somebody asked me last week, uh, they thought they were beasts. So these, both of these are beasts. Both of, those, both of these beasts are humans. The second beast arises from the earth, which many theologians believe indicates his Jewish origin. Another contributing factor to the belief that this guy will be of Jewish descent is related to something we discussed back in Revelation 7 as the tribe of Dan was not mentioned in the 144,000 sealed of Israel. It was a noticeable omission. That, along with the prophecy of Jacob related to Daniel in 40, Genesis 49:17, which I know it's more information a lot of you care about, but I just want you to have it, the omission certainly seems intentional, but we can't be dogmatic about that because on the earth sea distinction because Gentile kingdoms which Daniel saw arise from the sea in Daniel 7 are also said to be four kings which arose from the earth. It could just simply mean the beast is from the earth as opposed to being a heavenly being. Nevertheless, I'm just going to tell you where I go. With, I go with the former I think he will be Jewish simply because it will give him easier access to the Jewish people. He's one of their own. They'll listen to him. It's no secret on the mission field. It's better to have people that speak the language and know the culture. Who better for the Antichrist to use to relate to the Jewish people than one of their own? This beast has two horns like a lamb. So it's not the horns that we see on the devil, the red you know, suit and the pitchfork, right? In fact, the devil rarely comes as somebody we would, you know, get. He, he, he's disguised. The, the lamb that, the, well, the horns frequently symbolize power. And the lamb that was slain has seven, the number of completeness. The beast has two, the number of witness for he shall serve as the prime witness for the first beast. Again, while the Antichrist and his sidekick are described as beasts, they are human. The devil's best, I'm repeating some of this stuff because I know it doesn't sink the first time, right? The devil's best disguise is as a human, whether by possession or influence. People can be demon-possessed and he can work like that, but he can work by just using people as an influencer. 
Somebody can tell you or me a lie and get you or me to believe it, and then we start spreading the lie. Ever happened to you? Oh, it's happened to all of us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15, he says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. People will open their minds to this guy. They will throw the welcome mat out. They'll, they'll have them in for coffee and tea because he will come in disguise. You, will, you would never let the devil into your house if he was wearing the whole red suit thing, right? I mean, if he, if he were to come to us to describe as this monstrous pictures we see, he's not getting in your house. So how does he get in? Well, I've got my notes, blue eyes and blonde hair and blue jeans, like some song I've heard, you know. So how will anyone know that they are bad, this false prophet or this guy, any, how will they know they're bad? What well, it says right there, their end will correspond to their deeds, the fruits of their labor, the proofs in the pudding. Jesus explained this to the disciples after they told him that he hurt the Pharisees' feelings one time. Uh, in Matthew 15, they, the, the Pharisees asked Jesus, well, why don't you make your disciples wash their hands? This was a ritual hand cleansing that they would do. And, and, and Jesus <laughs> told them straight, and it hurt their feelings. And the disciples said, you, you hurt their feelings. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, 19, he says, but what comes out of the mouth? He's trying to tell them what matters is what comes out. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, listen, false witness, and slander. Those things come out of the heart. So I don't know about you, but I know me. When I sin, when I do things that I know that I ought not do, and don't act like you don't, when I do, I'm reminded that that came out of my heart. Are y'all with me? And I know that that I'm in a place I need to be worked on, right? And let me tell you something right now. You need to own your sin. That's what Jesus is saying. We'll see it. You'll see it, what, what comes out. You can, yeah, 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 say all you want. You can come here dressed, looking nice. I put a little dab on my hair today, and some three people said, three people said, look at your hair, what'd you do? I just put some stuff on. But that didn't clean me up. We may look good, sound religious, churchy or whatever, but our actions expose our heart. And by the way, this, our sin, doesn't mean it's over for us. That, it doesn't mean that we're bad people and not worthy to belong to the Lord, praise the Lord. No, it means that there's still some cleaning up to be done in our lives. That's called sanctification, and that is simply part of the salvation process. So don't give up. You blew it. Don't just get, come back in. That's what... First John 1, 9 is about. 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus wants you to hop back in. You see, you are justified when you believed and confessed Christ as Savior, so you're saved. He's doing work on and in you so that he can work through you. Amen? So this is a solid reminder that Satan and his minions come in forms that people will receive. In fact, cults and false religions have some form of truth. They, they come to the table with some good things that are believable and welcome, right? We, we know people in some of these cults that they're the best people around, right? But it's not by works. The Bible tells us that. But none will be more convincing than this false prophet. He will be believable. His appearance as a lamb mask his true inward nature. His outward appearance will fake people out, but like other false prophets, true identity is determined by observing the fruits of his labor. He can't help himself. Jesus put out a warning about false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but are ravenous wolves on the inside. He told them to look at the fruit. Matthew 7. Jesus said that these would be the signs of the end times in Matthew 24, 11 through 14. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and the end will come. This is talking about the tribulation period. See, those 144,000 witnesses are going to take the gospel. I know we're trying, but they're going to actually do it. The authority of the false prophet is limited. He's, this second beast is called the pro false prophet in Revelation 16, 13. We haven't got there yet, but... The second beast is only granted his power in the sight of the beast. So he's only got power if he's in the sight of the beast. He is, he's on tight leash. During the end, it's the dragon's intention, Satan, that ultimate authority and all attention be directed to the first beast. If the dragon enters the beast as he did Judas in Luke 22, then the Worship of the beast becomes the worship of Satan. Satan has to keep the first beast close to him so he may actually possess him, but has to keep the false prophet close because, well, he knows people can't be trusted, especially his kind of people, right? If he's got a heart like Satan, he kind of wants to be worshiped too. Left alone, this guy might try to take the glory for himself, and Satan wants it all for himself. And the power and the kingdom. You see, liars don't trust liars. Thieves don't trust other thieves. Right? And for good reason. The dragon is very aware of this possibility since he was the subject of the same underhanded influence of power. So the likely scenario has 
government and religion working hand in hand. The greatest potential for evil in a kingdom is when religion and the state are all on the same page for evil. Government can use the military might and authority that they have, and then forced or com compromised religion can supplement where the government authority falls short. In the end, even a universal religion proves to be a threat to the worship of the beast. The beast, empowered by the dragon, desires all worship personally. And this may be a contributing factor in the demise of the harlot of Revelation 17. Not there yet. For she is the mother of worldwide spiritual idolatry and abomination and, other, and could otherwise compete with the beast in the area of religion. The importance of the false prophet to her demise is not revealed, but we do know he is the ultimate religious figure directing worship to the beast at the end. His role as religious leader may also fulfill Israel's expectation of a prophet. We were told when we were in Israel that they've got all over the place billboards about messiahs that have already come. He would be the one to announce the arrival of the fake Messiah, the one Israel is still looking for since they rejected Christ. You know that. Israel is still looking for the Messiah. So when these people come, somebody's coming that they're looking for. So the first beast is the man of sin, the son of perdition that Paul wrote about in 2 Thessalonians 2.4. Daniel wrote about 11.36. Not, this is not the second beast. The second directs worship towards the first and is dependent on him for power. And people, people are going to hunger for religion after the church is gone. You see, there's always a place for religion. Today we have all kind of religion. And remember, we've talked about that before. The word religion is used in the Bible only four times. Three of them are bad, one good. But people, people do hunger for religion. They want something in that place. See, God has put a vacuum in our heart, and people, they just don't know what they're looking for. So there's always a place for religion, whether it's prosperity gospel, social gospel, or even these cults. I mean, that's why people, you say, why would people believe that? Because people are hungry for something. The earth dwellers, people left behind, will be people will be fascinated and drawn in by his miracles. But don't forget, God will be sending a strong delusion so they keep believing the lies they were already believing. They are still here because they rejected Christ as Savior. The signs and miracles will be real, but that of which they testify will be false. So they're coming with these Signs and miracles, they're real. But that which they testify will be false. We get a glimpse of uh, demonic powers when pharaohs, sorcerers, and magicians, remember when they did some things? They did some tricks. They were real. Rods into serpents, water into blood, and they brought frogs up on the land. The signs done by pharaohs, sorcerers, and magicians prove that signs themselves are unreliable indicators of a work of God. You see, it, it, has, it has always been about relationships, not works, not religion, and not even miracles. Even in Christ's 
case. Miracles themselves were not the evidence of his divine mission. The real evidence was that he did the miracles that were prophesied of him from Scripture. You can write this down. Isaiah 26, 29, 35, 61, they all speak of these. It had, uh, it was prophesied ahead of time of him that he would, the blind would receive sight, the lame would walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf can hear, the dead are raised, all of these things. The good news is preached to the poor. The signs that Jesus did were enough to prove that he was the one that Israel was waiting for. So when Jesus come and he did these things in the community, he healed the blind, the, the, the deaf could hear, the mute could speak, all these things happened. He raised the, these were This is supposed to be a light bulb that Israel would go, oh, we remember hearing from the prophet Isaiah that these things were going to happen. Indeed, it was the year of the Lord's favor. And they missed him. In fact, when he told them that in Luke chapter 4, his own people wanted to throw him off a cliff. Oh, but I want you to get this. The whole world's going to fall head over heels over the Antichrist. You know? All that Jesus did, he was rejected because a vocal minority railroaded him. Of course, we know he came and he was going to do it, but still. So the signs that the second beast is allowed to do in the presence of the Antichrist deceives the earth dwellers, and he tells them to make an image of the beast who was mortally wounded by the sword yet lived, and they do. He convinces the people to make this image of this beast to set up at the temple. They are completely open to deception because their faith is based on experience rather than Scripture. We need to get this this morning. This speaks to us. You see, they validate their religious beliefs based on their own personal experience. This is dangerous. You see, that, and that doesn't even make sense, but that is the bizarro world that we live in. Does anybody else realize that we live in a crazy world? I've got my truth. You've got your truth. There's no standard. The world that we live in believes in no absolute truth. I validate myself. I am what I say I am. I've, I've shared this story before when at the tire store, my new district manager came in and he put up a plaque and it said, voted number one store, tire store. I asked him, well, who did that? Where did that come from? He said, I voted. Yeah. Okay. That's how we are, though. The problem is, if your truth or my truth are wrong, then there are ramifications, consequences, a price to play. Do y'all get that? Do you understand that? The question is, do you really want to know the real truth? Do you really want to know the truth? Is it, inc is it inconvenient for you to know that? Is it going to make you change the way you live your life? I want to know the truth. 
Look, there's scenarios that we absolutely want to know the truth. If we're sitting here right now and somebody was trying to tell you, hey, look, your house is being burglarized right now, you would like to know the truth. Are you, look, I'm in church. Would you, I really know, is that true? Because I'm getting out, I'm going, I'm calling the cop. What, or your house is burning out. You wouldn't want to know this thing. How about your soul? Would you want to know the truth if your soul was going to the wrong place? That's not an inconvenient thing to know. I would want to know that. In that day, people will see the miracles of the beast and they will not compare them to scriptures and they will fall for him. Or they will hear them and they will bend the scriptures, they will twist the scriptures and reinterpret it to validate their experience, which is exactly what happens today. Well, Jesus didn't mean, the Bible didn't mean that. That's what it says. If God's written word denies their experience, then they will reject God's written word over their personal experience. Thus, their experience will sit in judgment of God's word. Mormons got their false prophet in their book, and they take that over the Bible. Others, same. Biblical believers are to be just the opposite. Their faith is based upon God's inerrant word. Each and every experience is tested against its adherence to that which God has already revealed in Scripture. If I believe something and the Word of God says something different, then I'm wrong. It might hurt my feelings, but my feelings need to get hurt sometimes. Anybody ever hurt your feelings and later you thought, I'm glad they did? When and if an experience fails the test of Scripture, it is rejected, for we know that the Spirit of God speaks consistently. God doesn't change things. The living word and the written word always agree. Jesus and the written word agree. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out of the world. Sometimes you and me, will think of something, we'll think, man, that's... That sounds spiritual, sounds God-like, whatever. Sounds like maybe I should do that, but, but then there's like a little check in your spirit. You need to compare it what the Word of God says and check that out, right? Just as, the, just as the devil's not behind every bush you walk by, the Spirit of God's not in every thought that you have. That's pretty good. Somebody write that down. I remember that. The Bible believer evaluates the fruit of his experience against the measure of Scripture and avoids deception. It's the same today. It'll be easier then with the strong delusion. It is by the signs that the false prophet deceives the earth dwellers to receive the mark of the beast and worship his image. Yet the signs are false, not in their miraculous ability, but in what they attest to. What if, what if you did something based on mis misinformation? We've all done it. You ever done that? Somebody told you something, you did based something you did on that, and then you found out that was wrong? That's what the devil does. He lies to you. All you got to do is get you to believe a lie, and then you'll do something. Our decisions are only as good as the truth we base them on. Is anybody hearing this? Signs alone are not trustworthy. So 
all is not as it appears, for he is a great deceiver. And back to that scripture. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. So crazy gets crazier in this scene. After deceiving the people into making the image of the beast, he is allowed by God to give the image breath, that is, make it seem to or literally come to life. Now this will aid and abet the Antichrist to do his thing because he is not omnipresent. He will likely occupy the holy place at the temple to be worshipped there. This probably occurs after the initial declaration of deity made in the person of the beast himself, which brings us to the abomination of desolation. Now, I've told you that phrase, abomination of desolation, several times. We're going to give you about eight things about that, so maybe you'll say, okay, finally, I, I kind of get it. <clears throat> it includes some things like this. Number one, it happens in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. You can look up Daniel eleven thirty one, and 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. It in, secondly, it entails a person get, setting up a statue in place of the regular sacrifice in the holy place. Again, Daniel eleven thirty one. Add to that Daniel twelve eleven, and right here in Revelation thirteen fourteen and fifteen. The, then third thing, the outcome is the halting of the regular sacrifice. You can add your other verses, Daniel nine twenty seven. And number four, there will be a time of about three and a half years before this event and the end of the tribulation period. That's in those scriptures I just gave you. Another thing, it includes an individual setting up an image of himself so that he may be worshipped in place of God. That's in all those scriptures I just gave you. Six, the image is made to come to life. Right here, Revelation 13, 14. And number seven, a worship system to this false God is instituted. It's in those scriptures I gave you. And number eight, at the end of this time period, the one who commits the act will be cut off. Daniel 9.27. This event occurs in the middle of the final week after the beast comes, overcomes the two witnesses we talked about in Revelation 11. It signals the Jewish remnant to take flight to the mountains and into the wilderness. So, Daniel, Jesus, and Paul, pretty good witnesses right there, refer to or describe this point in time, the abomination of desolation. It's a pivotal moment in the whole world. This is the point of no return. Taking the mark of the beast will guarantee eternal death, while refusing the mark of the beast, because one has accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, will be likely met with martyrdom, but guarantee eternal life. Today, we take a public stand for Christ in our baptism. Some may say, well, I haven't taken a public stand for Satan. Well, in today's spiritual climate, you don't have to. You see, Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. You're condemned already. We come to faith in Jesus because we're already marked in a sense. You trust in Jesus now for salvation. Two camps. There's the worshipers of God, the worshipers of the beast and his image. There will be a believing Jewish remnant hidden by God as we covered a couple of weeks ago. And those who manage to stay alive underground within the beast system 
Many of those will be Gentiles who come to faith during the end time. Those who refuse to mark are automatically cut off from the global economy. They're driven underground to either uh, rely on either supernatural provision or the black market. Some manage to live outside the global economy, including the sheep and the sheep and goat judgments. In Matthew 25, the sheep have provided for the return of Christ to take up his kingdom. Uh, said that wrong. The sheep provided for the needs of Jesus' brothers during this time, but they themselves have been without the mark, for it is not possible to take the mark and remain among the redeemed who enter that kingdom. Don't take that mark. Take the mark and you've chosen sides. Satan might use the latest and greatest technology, but you know there's so many that we've got stars and junk falling down. Power grid may be messed up. Then, you know, we may be living in a Mad Max. Well, we ain't going to be here. That may be like a Mad Max world right then, you know. The mark may not even be high-tech barcode. It may be just a tattoo. The beast number is 666, and I'll tell you what, there's endless speculations on that, so I ain't got nothing to say about that. You can read all your weird stuff about that. So, so what? The deeper we dive into Revelation, the origin of evil should come into plain sight. We find that it's not man-made conspiracies. Once Satan is totally kicked out of heaven and he's totally grounded to earth, his agenda becomes clear. He can't hide from the stench of himself, his repugnant desire to be God and to be worshipped, and his hostility towards mankind completely comes out of the closet. No more subtleties or pretenses. He will be out in the open. He won't admit that he's wrong. He will not repent. He will grow more callous, revolting, pompous, and prideful, and all the while totally ignoring the fact that any ability that he has, any power that he has, any authority that he has is God-given. Satan has nothing on his own. God allows these things as judgment is poured out. Nevertheless, this once angel of light, he won't snap out of it. But you can. If you're lost, if you don't know Jesus, you can snap out of it today. Satan can't. There's many lessons here. With Satan unleashed and the strong delusion sent, it's easy to see why people follow the unholy trinity. During that time, I, I, I get that. They're just, they're brainwashed. But what is the excuse for people today? Why are people rejecting the truth of God today for the lies of Satan? The Bible tells us man is without excuse. So you answer that question. What's the excuse for people today? In my humble opinion, people don't believe because they don't want to believe. So I beg the question to you. If what you believed were not true, would you want to know the truth? You see, that's the best heart check. If you sit there and go, I, don't, I really don't want nothing, well, there's your answer. You see, there's only one reason to disregard or hide from the truth. And I'll leave that for you to ponder. All I've done this morning is hopefully laid it out I trust that the Holy Spirit speaks to you on whatever kind of decision that you need to make in your life. Whether it's actually giving your heart and following Jesus, following through a believer's baptism, getting 
finally stepping in and, and, and being somebody that makes disciples and make disciples or whatever. I don't know. And it may be just some life decision you need to do, something in your life. Now is your time to respond. Hey, we're so glad that you joined us for worship this morning. We know that God is moving in the hearts and lives of anybody that hears his word. And we want to encourage you to take the step that the Holy Spirit's prompting you to take. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This morning, the Word of God was preached, and we know that it has the supernatural ability to go down deep inside us and change us from the inside out. We want to encourage you to take the step that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to take. If you'll download the Living Truth Church app for any, any app store, there's a Next Steps tab, and there's a list of different things that the Holy Spirit may be telling you to do, There are ways for you to respond. Maybe you've never chosen to follow Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's drawing you to Himself. Well, there's no better time to follow Jesus than right now, and you can let us know that in the app you can buy clicking follow Jesus. Uh, maybe you're a Christian and the next step you need to take is baptism or beginning to serve in the church or giving or getting plugged into a CPR group. One of those things, you know, many other things as well. Let us know in the app. We want to come alongside you. And if you'll fill that form out, we'll be able to come alongside you and help you take those steps. Um, we know that if you're a believer, you're a stepper. You are somebody who never stops. You never become stagnant. We should always be walking with Jesus and taking steps to follow him. So if you heard the word of God this morning, there's steps for you to take, and we want to encourage you to take those. Um, so if you would, join me in prayer. Um, dear Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's watching with us today. We thank you that they're here. We thank you that they've heard your word, God, and we pray that you'll speak to them, that you'll you'll draw them to yourself, God, and you'll, you'll tell them the steps that they need to take as they follow you. Um, God, we pray that you'll give them the boldness and courage to be obedient to what it is you're telling them to do. Um, God, we pray that you'll move in their lives and use them. We love you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for salvation. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, y'all have a great week.